0: Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Ephesians 5 1 through 21. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. Sexual immorality and any kind of impurity or greed shouldn't even be mentioned among you, which is right for holy persons. Obscene language, silly talk, or vulgar jokes aren't acceptable for believers. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. Because you know for sure that persons who are sexually immoral, impure, or greedy, which happens when things become God's, those persons won't inherit the, the kingdom of Christ and God. Nobody should deceive you with stupid ideas. God's anger comes down on those who are disobedient because of this kind of thing. So you shouldn't have anything to do with them. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So live your life as children of light. Light produces fruit that consists of every sort of goodness, justice, and truth. Therefore, test everything to see what's pleasing to the Lord and don't participate in the unfruitful actions of darkness. Instead, you should reveal the truth about them. It's embarrassing to even talk about what certain persons do in secret. But everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light. Everything that is revealed by the light is light. Therefore, it says, wake up, sleeper. Get up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Because of this, don't be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. Don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Instead, be filled with the Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Always give thanks to God the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submit to each other out of respect for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest.
1: Thank you, Diana, for that reading. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. I'm happy to be with you this morning. I... Something came to mind when we were worshiping uh, and wanted to share it with you. So on Friday night, I went to a play, uh, and it was, it, was a, it was a play called Two Pints, because it's an Irish play, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it, it takes place in, in, in this like, immersive experience, like on the side, it took place on the side of this uh, um, restaurant, and there are tables and there are seats and at the end of this room, which is very narrow and very small, uh, there is there's something like a bar and, and there's a bartender behind the bar and then there are two people sitting at the bar and their backs are to, are to you. and. It's interesting because the play uh begins with these with these two men, and there are only three people who are in the play, and, and they're talking about things like politics, they're talking about things like um things that happen to them in their life, and then eventually they can't help but talk about things that they can't talk about. Um things like death and things like the losing or the impending loss of a parent. Uh things like how to think about God and 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 what does it mean that we, that we are people on this earth? And what does the afterlife look like? And there are three acts, and, and each act kind of follows that sort of structure, where it begins with, you know, they're just, people are, are just talking, and then they get to the things that matter. And what's really fascinating about this whole thing is, is the bartender never says a thing. Uh, you don't know why he's actually there. Uh, and, but I can't help, my brain just wants to make meaning of things, so I'm like, I wonder who that is. And I wonder if in some ways this is a figure, and I'm not saying that this person is supposed to be God, but but the bartender is what makes this space possible for something like this to occur, for these two men to encounter one another and then to begin engaging in conversation about the depths of their lives. And it becomes really profound as somebody who's watching it because you, given the space, are also part of it. And in between the acts you begin to have conversations in reference to what has been said, and you begin to share life with one another. It was just a really incredible picture of what I think God makes possible in something like the community of God, where people are together and they come together, and we, we talk about things in our lives about, I, I can't tell you how many times this morning I said that I haven't been sleeping well. Uh, and things like that just kind of don't seem to matter. But then, as a result of some of those relationships, as a result of talking, we begin to share the depths of our souls with each other, and that is what God has made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I share all of that because I wonder if any of you come in this morning, or you've had this this long week um, behind you, and you couldn't wait to just sit in the chair and fall asleep right now. Uh, I wonder if if you've there have been moments of the ordinariness of life that have been interrupted by something like the sacred and you don't know what to do with that. Well, I want to encourage you that perhaps God is wanting to get your attention. Perhaps there have been moments this week where you've just been going along with your life but then there's a conversation you're like, wait, something happened there. I was known in a way I wasn't known before or I got to know somebody else in a way I didn't know them before. Or perhaps you're coming into this space and you're exhausted or you're distracted, but then we sung a word. Or when Mike was sharing or when the scripture was read or when those testimonies happened, something occurred. The sacred perhaps just made itself aware or made itself present to you in a new way. I just wonder if God is wanting to remind you that he has made this possible through Jesus Christ. That we are, we are together as people sacred, and God is wanting to work through us. So I share all of that because it was a credible reminder to me of, of what's going on in our lives because God is part of it. So let's pray and pray that we would be listening to the voice of God to us this morning. God, you are good. I love you so much, and I love that you can speak to me through things like plays. I thank you that you can speak to us through other people, through random conversations that are just something beyond random. Thank you for testimonies where you can speak to us through people who've had profound experiences of of fear and trust, of praying with others. Thank you that you can speak to us through your word, through our singing together, through something like communion. God, I pray that your presence would be felt by us today, that we would know that you are a God who is with us. And we would trust in that, and we would be grateful for it, and be transformed by that presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to turn to your Bibles, um, Ephesians 5. We're in a series in the book of Ephesians. And we've been in it for a while. It's actually nearing the end. Only a few more weeks left. Uh, And just by way of reminder, Ephesians is a book that was written uh, by Paul to a collection of churches in, in this area called Ephesus. And what Paul is wanting to do is sort of peel back the layers or take us behind the curtain of what's really going on with this thing we call church. What has God made possible in the person of Jesus? What are we actually part of? Things happen on the surface. We do certain things, but there's a whole world underneath um, keeping us going, keeping this thing afloat, and it's what God has made possible through Jesus. So the first half of Ephesians is really talking about what, what God has done in Christ for us, for his people, for the church, How, the inheritance he's given, the way he showered his grace and his mercy upon us, that we are called children of God, and that we are saved not by what we do, but what, by what God has done in Jesus. That's the first half of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3. And then the the second half of Ephesians is, and I love the way Will put it last week, was really describing the difference that Christ makes. So here's what God has done in Jesus to make this possible. But then the second half is, well, here is the difference that Christ can actually make in our lives, in our life together as a church. So in Ephesians 5, uh, we're going to be looking at the ways in which we are called to be people, who live into the life that God has made possible in Jesus. Now, I want to begin in verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. So these first two verses are really interesting, because they're sort of like a hinge point between what's come before, so it can make sense as an ending of a thought of everything that was talked about in in chapter 4, but it also feels like a transitionary moment into what Paul is going to be talking about in the rest of this chapter. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. Now I want to stop here at this word walk, because it's a word that Paul loves to use, and it's a word that comes up eight times in the book of Ephesians, three times alone in the passage we're going to look at. Now if you, I just want to describe some of the ways that Paul has used it, and the Greek word is peripateo. And, and it comes up in the New Testament uh, uh, quite a few times, but it's, it's interesting in, in the amount of times that it shows up in this book. But it's a really, I think, powerful image of what it means to live life with Jesus. So in Ephesians 2.1, it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And in Ephesians 4.17, it comes up twice. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So walk is important concept, idea, metaphor for Paul of what it means to live life with Jesus. And there are three ways we're going to look at, or three encouragements, callings, imperatives that Paul gives us of how we're to walk. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're to walk in love, we're to walk as children of light, and we're to walk as those who are wise. But I just want to use an example, or I want to talk a little bit about this picture of walking, because I think it's it has a lot there um, in terms of how to think about the Christian life. Because the Christian life, something happens in which we are drawn to Jesus. Um some of us might have a dramatic story in which there was a conversion experience. For others it might be something that you feel like you were you were born into and, and you've grown up in. And you're not sure where that moment was when you made a decision for Jesus. Um, and and a lot of us point to our baptisms as that moment when we say, yes, that is a moment I am I am proclaiming that I am with Jesus and that I put my trust in Christ. What is true about living the Christian life is that it is a path that we journey on, and it's one that we journey on together. And the wonderful news that Ephesians offers is that there was this one time, or one time you were stuck in this one path of living. And it's defined by things like darkness, by sin, by trespasses. It was the only way you knew how to go. But in Christ, God has offered and created a new path. And we are to walk in that path. But the wonderful thing about the image is that it's a journeying image. But it's also really gracious imagery. Because to walk suggests a process. And it suggests that, that something needs to occur on a continual basis in our life with Christ. Just because a new path is open for us to walk down doesn't mean that it's actually easy to let go of all of the things, all of the baggage that we've acquired in walking this other path. I'm in the middle of a novel right now called The Underground Railroad, which talks about this, this slave named Cora who escapes from slavery. And her escape and her time in slavery is actually only the, probably the first, maybe 10%, 15% of the novel the rest of the novel is her trying to figure out and how to learn as a person who is free. And I think that is, that is an incredible picture of what it means to live in the Christian life and to walk in the way that God has provided for us because we need to learn how to be people who are free in Christ. We need to learn how to be people who walk in step with Jesus. We need to be people who, yes, let go of all of these other things that we've acquired in walking this one way to say, okay, I'm going to now walk in this way. But it's a process and it's a journey and it takes quite literally a lifetime. I also read another article this week, which I thought was really fascinating, and it calls What It Takes to Put Your Phone Away. And a friend sent this to me, and it's from The New Yorker, and it's talking about, how we are so addicted to our digital technologies. Raise your hand. My name is Daniel Long, and I'm addicted to my iPhone. (laughs) But there's this sense in which we, as people, we know this isn't good for us. We know our relationship to technology, to the Internet, to the things that we consume, isn't necessarily good for us, and we don't like how much time we're spending on it. Right, but we still do. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean tomorrow I'm going to necessarily change. Just because I've said in my brain, I don't like that. And in this article, it talks about these researchers, some people who've done work, that start suggesting things like digital detoxes, right? Retreats, where you go away and you put your phone and, and you leave it somewhere that you can't get to because you want to, but you just you can't. When you're Jones and you're like, I need it. But then you, know, you just got to leave it behind. You can't get to it. And it talks about how there's this sense in which we as people, we need to acquire different habits if we're going to live in the way that we want to live. Knowledge, understanding, just desires of not wanting to do something, doesn't actually affect change. What affects change is a letting go of something and then acquiring a new way of life. One of the authors that, this, that the article cites talks about how we need a different philosophy of life in general, in terms of productivity, how we spend our time, what it means to be a human being um, instead of a human doing, But it's really fascinating because what these authors are talking about is something like formation. That the dynamics at play in walking into a life that you want to walk, in our case in the book of Ephesians, walking toward Jesus, requires choices, requires partnership, it requires actually doing things with our lives that help sustain our walks in the way that we want to go. And so it's fascinating that I think Ephesians and Paul is bringing up all of these dynamics of what it means to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. And so, what are the three ways that Paul is encouraging us to walk? Well, the first one is that we're to walk in love. Again, 5 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. To God. So, why are we to walk in love? Because Christ Himself loved us. What I love about Paul is anytime he is calling us toward a new way of life, it's always grounded in something that Christ has already done. Walk in love because Christ Himself loved us. You are beloved children. Walk in love. And as Paul continues, this way of loving, this way of walking in love is contrasted with things like sexual immorality, with things like greed. So this walking in love, what what shape does this love take? It takes a self-emptying, self-giving love like that of Jesus instead of the self-gratifying and the self-indulgent love that often plays out in things like sexual immorality. In things like acquiring and grasping for things like greed. So to walk in love is to walk in a way where you are giving yourself for the sake of others in the way that Christ gave himself for us. And I think it's fascinating because Paul also goes in this passage to talk about how it's supposed to affect the way that we talk. So walking in love and the path that we're called to walk has something to do with our bodies Right, we're supposed to use our bodies in a way that not to, to to gratify our desires or to simply to gain whatever we want, considering our sexual pleasure. But it's also in the way that we talk. We're supposed to abstain from a certain way of talking. So, what the way that God is calling us to live into the way of Jesus is actually an embodied life. Right, walking in love doesn't stay here but it actually begins begins to be worked out in things like our sex lives and in our communicative lives and in the way that we acquire and gain things, in our greed. So how do we know whether or not the Spirit of God is at work in our lives and how do we know if we're walking in the path of love? Well, Is our lives being marked by a self-emptying, self-giving love? Is our speech marked not by obscene talk, but by thanksgiving? So we begin to look at our lives and the things that we're doing as indicators of what path we're walking down. I find that really fascinating. And the whole time, it's, it's Paul is wanting to continue to push us toward grace. No, it's grace. I'm not saying, hey, you, you better do this. You have to do this. He's saying the good news is you can. The good news is, is there is a new path for you to walk down. Now walk in that path. He also brings up in this text, verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I think it's interesting that he brings up idolatry in this text. But idolatry, and I think that... I, I can't remember the exact wording that Diana um, read. It was from the Common English Bible, but I loved it. It's made it very explicit, right, to, to basically worship other things as God. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it, it, that is what idolatry is. And the wonderful thing about this, and I think Paul is being specific is that we become, we are shaped by that which we worship. We are shaped by that which we worship. Our loves and the end of our love, or whatever on the other end of that, begins to shape our lives. And so the question is, is our focus the the object of our love, Jesus? Because if he is, then we will be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. If it isn't, we will be shaped and formed into something else. There's There's an author I love named David Dark, and he says, do you want to know what your religion is? Give me your receipts, your internet browsing history, your Netflix queue. Give me all the ways that you've spent your time the last week, and I will tell you what it is you worship. And I hear that, and I think, okay, I just want to forget it. Um, but it's so true. If we were to look at our lives in the way that we spend them, there will be good indicators of what's important to us. And so Paul is saying, walk in love. Worship God as God. Because you will become more like that which you worship. And if your orientation is to worship something else, to worship yourself, or something else you think promises you life and will give it, then you will become to look a lot like that thing. So be careful where your orientation is. Be careful what you love, because you are what you love. And that's what philosopher James K.A. Smith says, and I want to read a quote, which I love. He says, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God, and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. So to follow God is, to follow Christ is to have our desires and our loves shaped by Him. Because what we love will ultimately shape us. So there's walk in love, walk in a way that is toward Jesus. Walk in a way that that is a self-emptying type of love. But also walk in a way that the object of your love is Christ. Because that will shape you into the likeness of Christ. So next, walk as children of light. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Walk as children of light. I can't help but hear Jesus' words in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world. Again, what Paul says here, if you notice, he says, You are light in the Lord. That is what is true of you. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you are light in the Lord. Now walk as children of light. See, Jesus doesn't say, Go and be the light of the world. He says, By virtue of following me, you are the light of the world. We are God's light to the world. That is already who we are, if, we, if our trust is in Jesus. Now let us walk in that way. But well, what does that mean? What does it look like to be people who walk as children of light? Well, I was struck by a conversation I had with a friend this week over lunch, and he was talking to me a little bit about his job, and he said something that was really inspiring to me. Uh, and he said, I really want to be in a place in my job, and I feel that I'm there, or this is my calling now, where I'm offering an example of what it looks like for Jesus to be doing this job. What would it look like for Jesus to be doing the work that I'm doing? And I thought that is a good question that a pastor should ask. And and, and I just I was I've been holding on to that all week. That what would it look like for, for us or for Jesus to be doing what it is we're doing? And it immediately reminded me of a a definition that Dallas Willard gives of what discipleship is. And he says this how the disciple lives naturally comes out of who the disciple is. As Jesus' disciple, I am his apprentice in kingdom living. I am learning from him how to lead my life in the kingdom of the heavens as he would lead my life if he were I. I want to read that again because that is really profound. I am learning from him. How to lead my life in the kingdom of the heavens as he, Jesus, would lead my life if he were I. It is my faith in him that led me to become his disciple. My confidence in him simply means that I believe that he is right about everything, that all that he is and says shows what life is at its best, what it was intended by God to be. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is is living in such a way and being formed by the Spirit by Christ, through his spirit, so that it was as if Jesus was living my life. And that's what I think is so fascinating about the Christian life, is that all of our lives are particular. So how Jesus is going to live it is going to look very different from other people. But I need to be asking that question. What would it look like for Jesus to be forming my life in such a way that I would be parenting my children, that I would be married to my wife, That I would be doing my job in the way that Jesus would be doing it. And that is the the way of being formed into the likeness of Jesus. So what does it mean to walk as children of light? It means to consider that you, your life, wherever you are, is an opportunity to be shaped and to be formed into the likeness of Christ. That, That you are bearing witness to the person of Jesus, where you are and who you are and how you are doing what you're doing. That means that the job that you have, that there's a certain way that if you were to be formed by Jesus, that you then would become a disciple as a result of that job, and that that job would then become and to look like as if Jesus were doing that job. Your family, your work. I keep thinking of teachers. I keep thinking of those who are, who are executives, entrepreneurs, those who are, who are parents at home with your children. That we are called to walk as children of light where God has called us to be. That we each have an opportunity to bear witness to the light of Jesus wherever God has placed us. But it requires a continual walking and formation by Christ in our lives. So that what we are doing becomes to look more and more like if Jesus were doing it. That's what discipleship is. And that's what my friend in that in and over that lunch helped remind me of. He's asking the right question. Yeah, what would it look like for Jesus to be doing the work that I'm doing? So don't hear me saying, go and be light. Hear me saying, You, if you've put your trust in Jesus, are light. Y- you are light. One of my favorite pieces of scripture in this passage. Is verse 14 for, an any, for anything that becomes visible as light therefore it says and I love this and I keep rehearsing it to myself awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you Christ will shine on you Christ through his love and mercy and grace has shined upon us we are simply to bear witness to the light which is already shining upon us so then now walk in love walk as children of light walk not as unwise but as those who are wise verse 15 look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil so what does it mean to walk as those who are wise well wisdom is a big deal in scripture but what do you think of when i say the word wisdom is it intellect is it knowledge because in the scriptural kind of imagination wisdom is something like a craft Wisdom is something like the ability to look at the way life is and how it works and then respond appropriately and accordingly. So wisdom isn't so much knowledge or intellect, but rather an ability to live one's life in reference to what is true about the world. So to live as wise rather than those who are unwise is to live as somebody who recognizes that there is a creator. Proverbs says the beginning or fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This sense that, that there is a there is an orientation to something other. That wisdom is, is not to live according to my own will, which Paul will continue on in that passage, but rather in reference to the will of God. So wisdom is to know that there is a will outside of my will that is that is calling upon me. Wisdom is also knowing that, that time is a gift, right? Paul continues in this passage to talk about time. Well, why is that? Because wisdom recognizes that we have been given time as gift. That time isn't mine. I didn't do anything to earn time. I was born into it, and it is given to me for however long it will be given to me. So use it wisely. Time, that isn't supposed to create anxiety or fear, which I also struggle with. There isn't enough time to, to be as great as I want to be. But time is opportunity, Right, Time is opportunity to walk toward Jesus and to bear witness to God in the world. So wisdom is saying, okay, there's a creator. I'm not the creator. Wisdom is saying time is a gift. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my will. But it's about God's will. But also in this passage, it's really interesting that he brings up drunkenness and, and excessive living, debauchery. Because Christians don't get drunk, and Christians don't go on in excessive carousing and getting whatever they want. That's not wise living. Wise living isn't, isn't to do that, isn't to simply numb yourself, or isn't to, to, get, to get wild and to get crazy. But rather, if you're going to be under the influence of something, be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. To be a wise person is to be under the shaping power of the Spirit. Paul says to be filled with the spirit, which was really fascinating. You have this whole trajectory of chapter five, right? Where it talks about all these things that we are to do, all the ways in which we're to walk. But Paul reminds us at the end, it is not without the power of the spirit. It is not without what God has made possible in Jesus and through his giving to us what we need to follow in the ways that he's given So be filled with the Spirit. Yes, walk in these ways. And as you walk, you will be shaped and formed into the likeness of Jesus. But it is not by your own power or will. It is by the power of God at work in you. Now, that's good news to me. Because as I think about somebody who wants my love to be oriented to Jesus, it's often the case that it can feel like burden. And it's easy to hear a sermon like this and think, man, I am just not doing enough. And certainly God must be so disappointed in me. Now, for some of you, you do need to hear the word, hey, you go on walking in love, and you go on and walk as those who are wise and walk as children of light. Now, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you recognize, oh, wow, my life isn't, you know, kind of connected with that. Well, yes, go on and walk in that way. But for others of you, it's not about Like, oh, you're not doing enough, or you're a terrible person. It's it's about the grace of God that has made another way for you to live. It's about the grace of God that has given you the actual possibility toward life. The life that is found in Jesus. What we're talking about this morning is formation. That to be people who are with Jesus is to be people who walk toward Jesus in such a way that our life is being continually formed in the likeness of Christ, that our life is being shaped by the things that we are doing. Now, the, our lives, our shaping us, whether you like it or not, it is not a neutral like, playing field. You are always being shaped and formed. But what is shaping, what is forming you? Is it the person of Jesus Are we opening our lives to the one who wants to shower upon us his grace and mercy? The one who is giving us the power of the spirit to be shaped in such a way that we are self-emptying, self-giving in our love, that we are actually bearing witness to the light of Christ wherever He has placed us, and that we are people who are living as those who are wise in reference to the one who has made all of this possible. So thanks be to the God who has given us a new way to live and who's opened before us another path down which we can walk together. Because Paul ends with submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. It is a a communal effort. It's not something I do in isolation. I am not formed simply just by being with me and God. That does take place. But I'm formed by being with all of you. And we are formed and shaped into Christ-likeness by being with one another so thanks be to God for that we this morning are going to participate in a really formative practice called communion and I love that and I love this morning that we walk down to receive it uh, because there's something about walking toward that which offers us life to walk in love toward the table to receive from God, that this becomes the food, the nourishment that is required for us to walk as children of light, that this is to walk as those who are wise, as we know that we can't save ourselves. We can only be saved by the grace and mercy of God and what he's done in Jesus Christ. So that is what this opportunity is. That is what this practice um, makes possible. Is a communal walking down together to say, this is what we need. This is the food. This is the nourishment. This is the love. This is the forgiveness. This is the life that is possible for us in Jesus. So I want to encourage you. I want to welcome you. If Even if you're not a part of this church, you can participate. Those who have put their trust in Jesus, this meal is for you. And I want to also just ask that you think as you come down, as you walk with others, that you remember, that you look around. I do this, maybe it feels awkward, but I look at people because I think, wow, yes, you are my brother, you are my sister. We have experienced the love and the grace of Jesus together. That is that is miraculous. Um, so I'd like for you to stand. Those who are going to be serving, you can come forward. Those who are going to be releasing the rose, um, please come forward too. Hold on to, your, um, to the elements because we will be partaking um, those to- together.